Jesus passed through towns and villages, teaching as he went and making his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? He answered them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I tell you, will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. After the master of the house has arisen and locked the door, then will you stand outside knocking and saying, Lord, open the door for us. He will say to you in reply, I do not know where you are from. And you will say, we ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers, and there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves cast out, and people will come from the east and the west, and from the north and the south, and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. For behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful insight that I have quoted a number of times here, so if, uh, if this is repetitive, forgive me, but some things bear repeating. It's a quote from G.K. Chesterton. I think it's from a book called Everlasting Man. And he says that, you know, we have gotten into the habit of thinking and speaking as if, uh, as if Jesus really preached only a message of comfort and consolation acceptance and love. And that somehow, in the past 2,000 years, the Christian church has taken that message of comfort and acceptance and love and distorted it and made it fearful and made it oppressive and made it frightening. He says the exact opposite, if we look at the evidence, the exact opposite is true. As you look at pretty much any Catholic church, and ours is no exception, you will find images overwhelmingly of the Lord's comfort, of the Lord's mercy, of the Lord's tenderness, right? We find lots of images of the sacred heart or the divine mercy. I have never really seen in a church a statue of Jesus in wrath, have you? I've never really seen uh, a painting up near the altar of Jesus overturning tables and whipping people with cords and temples. So it's actually, we don't really have a lot of evidence that the church has distorted the image and de-emphasizes God's mercy. If anything, we take every announcement of the good news of God's loving mercy and we blow it up and we remind ourselves of it all the time. It says, but if we look at the Gospels, if we look at the accounts of what Jesus actually said and did, we will find quite a lot in there that scares us. We'll find not in the church's art or in the church's teachings on morality, but in the Gospels themselves, we'll find plenty of things 
to make us uncomfortable. Now, today's gospel, I don't know what you experienced when you heard it, but today's gospel is one of those that, for me, makes me uncomfortable. Let's, let's enter first into the drama of the gospel a little bit. So the disciples ask him, Lord, will only a few people be saved? Now, when they ask this question, if I'm in the, the drama of the text, I really want the next words out of Jesus' mouth to be like, no, everybody's going to heaven, right? Or maybe only the really bad people, right? The Hitlers and the, you know, the, the child abusers of the world, only they are in danger. Everybody else is, you know, you're, you're fine. Most, almost all of us here are going to go to heaven, right? That's, that's what I want to hear. I don't really get that comforting answer from Jesus. The disciples ask, Lord, will only a few be saved? He doesn't really answer the question directly, but here's what he says. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. All right, so already one word into Jesus' answer, I don't like this. Because he's saying strive, which means struggle. Right? It means uh, exerting myself in something that's difficult. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Right? Well, I really want that gate to be wide, actually. And I want the road to be broad. And I want many roads to be able to take me there. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. And then here's where it gets really uh, oppressive. For many, I tell you, will attempt to enter and will not be strong enough. Now, the striving made me uncomfortable. But this terrifies me. Because the other, the other temptation I can fall back on, and I know I'm not the only one, is to say, well, only, only those who really don't want to go to heaven will, will go to heaven. I've been asked before, Father, isn't it true? Who knows where these things come from? Isn't it true that you only go to hell if you choose it? Uh, by the way, if you asked me this, you know, I'm not trying to embarrass you. So, uh, but... In a sense, yes, in the sense that, like, if, you know, the Lord will do everything he can to save us, he'll do everything. I mean, he died for us. He'll do everything he can to redeem us by his mercy. Uh, and that if we allow him, he's going to continue to do everything he can to save us. If we really cling to him, he will save us. But if by that we mean that only if I explicitly desire eternal punishment will I receive it, then the answer is no. There's never been church teaching that only those who desire hell go there. So it's discomforting. But, uh, oh yeah, so back to what I was, what I was saying. Uh, lost my train of thought there. What bothers me is he says many will attempt to enter. In other words, many will come and they will try to get in the gate. But they won't be able to because they're not strong enough. So now he's speaking specifically towards those who are trying to get in and just don't measure up. They're not strong enough to get in through that narrow gate. And then we go further down, and uh, that, that tension just gets deepened, right? Because he, he tells this parable about uh, the master of the house keep, and these, these servants that are locked outside. And he tells them, uh, depart from here, I don't know you. And they, they cry out to him, but we ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. So if we extend this parable image out to Jesus being the master and us being the servants... Uh, this really becomes upsetting, right? Because the, essentially people are saying, Lord, we accompanied you. We ate with you. We listened to your preaching. And yet the master's response is, I do, to, to many of these people, depart from me for I do not know you. And he sends them to where there's wailing and there's grinding of teeth. 
this is a challenging gospel. And how, whatever we, I mean, I'm sure we could, uh, we could all pull together our creative resources and find some scholarly text that'll allow us to diminish uh, some of what Jesus says. But if we take him seriously at all, if we take his words to mean what they say at all, at the very least, we know that everybody who wants to get in and who tries to get in is not going to. We know that much. And so the Lord tells us, strive, try hard, struggle. We are born, because of original sin, brothers and sisters, allergic to striving. And many of us never really get over that allergy. A lot of us, this, this is a very toxic thing, what a lot of us will do is we'll make excuses for our weaknesses and we'll say, you know, we'll look at all the aspects of the Christian life that we are faithful in and we'll say, yeah, I'm basically pretty good and so I'm just going to like not be too hard on myself about these things that I, I don't want to work on or can't get over. And what we, so what we've done essentially is we've, we've accepted what's easy for us and we've just balked at what's hard, right? Uh, we don't like striving. And what's more, we don't live in a culture that in any way encourages us to strive. In fact, we live in a culture that explicitly gives us reasons not to strive. Right? Uh, if we look at some of the, the broader influences on us, we're Americans, most of us, some people here might not be, but most of us are Americans. And to the extent that America could ever have been called a Christian civilization, it has always been a Protestant civilization. We are not from a Catholic culture. Uh, it's an interesting thought experiment to wonder what a Catholic version of America might look like, but that's not where we live. We live in a Protestant country insofar as it's a Christian country at all. And one of the, one of the principal reformers, one of the principal like, fathers of the uh, Protestant movement is Martin Luther. And one of the teachings that he had that was central to his thought was the idea that humanity is depraved, that we are fundamentally bad, and that we can't become good. And so the famous image that he gives is, he says that grace essentially is like snow that covers us up so that God doesn't have to look at us, right? That we remain like snow-covered dungs, or snow-covered balls of dung, right? So that we haven't actually changed. Grace doesn't make us stop being a pile of dung, but grace covers us over so that when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus' goodness and not our badness. And so it's really, really deep in the Protestant ethos, which means it's really, really deep in the American ethos, that we are fundamentally bad and that God doesn't actually change us, that there's no, there's no sense of us becoming holy or becoming good. It's really more of a matter of not being held accountable for what we do. And that's where the source of our hope is that God's not going to hold us accountable for what we do. So we have that on the one side. And then on the other side, and there, I'm sure there's many other, I, I'm not exhausting all the influences here, but just another main, main one I would, I'd point out. And this is a completely secular view, which really says we should celebrate all of your desires and inclinations. Let's praise, let's affirm, let's celebrate all of your life choices. And by the way, Anything that causes you difficulty, any desires that you don't give into, uh, we'll, we'll call that repression, and we'll say it's unhealthy, and it leads to all sorts of neuroses, right? That it's actually, uh, it's an example of how Christianity is oppressive and, and binds us and enslaves us and keeps us in darkness because Christianity actually calls us 
to something higher. And so what we have is we're born sort of allergic to striving and with this desire to always kind of take the easy path, to avoid the struggle, to do the things that are easy. And then we live in a culture that actually doesn't call us to strive. I mean, America might value striving for lots of things, like striving for uh, really high salaries or for fame or for being really good at sports or something like that. But it definitely does not encourage us to strive after moral rectitude or spiritual greatness. But God wants us to be spiritually great. Ma magnanimity, greatness of soul, is a virtue, and the Lord wants it in us. So we may have this desire to say, Lord, make it as easy as possible for me to get in the gate. Make the gate wider, right? Take the pack off my back. Make it easy for me to get in. But the problem is the Lord is very concerned about who you are and what kind of person you become. And so the Lord wants us to strive. He wants us to struggle. Right? He, doesn't, he doesn't let us take the easy way out. So what we need here is we need, if we're going to become spiritually great, we need to grow in the virtue of fortitude or courage. Right? That virtue that enables us to keep going even when it's hard, pursuing a good. Or to struggle and endure the pain of temptation and difficulty when we're tempted to do bad. We need to grow in this virtue because uh, the Lord is not really just interested in how easily, we, how easily we find a path in the gate. He's interested in who we become. He wants us to become spiritually great. And so we need, we need this virtue of, uh, of courage to, to strive and to struggle. Right? If we look at the first reading, in the letter to Hebrews, we're told, My son, do not disdain the discipline of the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. At the time, all discipline seems a cause not for joy, but for pain. Yet later it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. And so what he's talking to us here is that, uh, you know, we, when we experience difficulty, we experience it as something bad. But the Lord allows us to go through dis difficult things because he's a father and he loves us. So he tells us, strengthen your drooping hands and weak knees so that you can bear these difficulties. I think one of the reasons why we balk so much at striving. What might this look like, by the way? Well, let, let's just, let's get real with, with ourselves and our conscience, right? Look into your conscience, to that private place where only you and God are talking to each other. And I want you to think about the sin that you struggle with the most, your big sin. And I don't, when I say your big sin, I don't mean the thing that you're most ashamed of that you've done. I'm, I'm talking about the thing that you can't stop doing. The thing that you can't seem to overcome. The thing that uh, you find yourself confessing every single time you go to confession. Right now, as you think about your struggle with that sin, let me tell you something else that is challenging and maybe a little uncomfortable. The saints of the church teach that, well, the church explicitly teaches that every person has sufficient grace for their salvation. So every single one of us here, just by virtue of the fact that we exist, receive enough grace to become saints then the saints have taught that there is a, enough grace in the sacrament of the Eucharist for every single one of us who receives it to become a saint today. So if you're in a state of grace right now, if you're not aware of serious sin, and you come up in about 20 minutes and receive Holy Communion, there is enough grace in this sacrament, in this one reception of Holy Communion, for you to become a saint today. So why don't we do it? 
Why do we still stay enslaved to our sins? Why do we fall over and over and over again? Why do we always balk at the difficulties or the obstacles that lie before us? I think uh, I had a revelation in myself this week. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually sharing my, from my own spiritual life. This week I was asking myself that question. There was a, there's something that I struggle with. I asked myself, why do I keep doing this? Why do I seem to buckle every time this difficulty faces me? And then I, I had a, the Lord gave me like an epiphany and I said, oh, you know what? I'm waiting for it to be easy. And I have this weird sense that like somehow tomorrow I'll be better disposed uh, to conquer this. That somehow tomorrow the conditions will be better and it won't actually be hard. Like the temptation won't be there. Right? I don't want to actually overcome temptation. I simply want there not to be temptation. I'm waiting for it to be easy. And you say, well, if the Lord gives us sufficient grace, why not just go all the way? Why not just take away the temptation? Why not just overwhelm us with his help? And I would say this. We'll go back to what we said a few minutes ago. The Lord wants us to be great souls. Let's use a physical image, right? Because the Lord made a sacramental world. So the, the physical world very often helps us understand spiritual truths. If I want to become physically stronger, anybody here who's ever been a weightlifter knows where this is going. If I want to be physically stronger, I have to lift things that are too heavy for me. I have to actually push myself to the point where I fail and where I hurt. Right? And if you have a good workout, you hurt for days afterwards. Right? And you basically have like damaged your muscles. But then your body rebuilds them back and you are stronger than you started before. And if you don't push yourself to where it hurts, or if you don't push yourself to where you're actually, you're pushing your body to its physical limits, then you're not going to get stronger. If you do easy workouts, it's not going to help you very much. Right? And imagine that I'm, uh, I'm in my first or second day back in the gym and I finally, I've stopped saying maybe it'll be easier to work out tomorrow and just said, you know, I'm going to face this thing. And I'm under the bench, uh, or I'm on the bench. And I, I tell the Lord, Lord, can you please just make this easy? Can you please just make the, the barbell light? Could the Lord do that? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He definitely can do that. But, but if, if that weight becomes light and it's easy for me to lift, how is it going to make me stronger? If the Lord doesn't allow us to struggle in the spiritual and the moral life, how is it that we're ever going to get stronger? Right? I've, I've asked the Lord this myself in prayer. Because you know, pr prayer is very difficult. And a lot of times I'm discouraged because I want it to be easy. And I've asked the Lord, Lord, if you want me to pray, why don't you make it easier? <laughs> why don't you show up in a little more tangible way? But if I didn't have to struggle, how would I get stronger? If I didn't have to seek, like, where would, how would my desire deepen? So, brothers and sisters, let's take the Lord at his word today. And let's say, you know what? Uh, we don't want to be, we, we, I mean, the Lord's mercy is the biggest fact here. Uh, so we don't want to be neurotic. But we do want to take our salvation and the possibility of our damnation seriously. And we want to recognize that the Lord wants us to become great. He wants us to become spiritual giants. He wants us to become great souled. He wants us to grow and become stronger and have a deeper capacity for his love. He wants us to become the kind of people that can endure great spiritual trials for his sake. And that's what he does to his saints, right? The saints' lives never seem to get easier. They, in a sense, they seem to get harder. That's because they are growing more and more in their capacity to do things out of love for him. And so more and more they grow in the glory of the Lord. And so what I propose to you today is that 
we start doing the things that are hard. That when we face temptation, uh, especially if those, those temptations we seem to always give into, maybe try a little bit harder, right? Maybe we actually try not to fall this time. Maybe I try to actually hold my tongue, right? Or whatever, whatever it is that, that, that we're falling into, I'm gonna actually try to fight against this. And when suffering comes, when trials come, we bear it patiently, we bear it joyfully. Maybe we even pretend we're saints already and imitate the saints and say, thank you, Lord, for this share in your cross because I know that if I, I bear it with your help joyfully, it will help make me stronger. It'll help make me uh, grow in magnanimity so I may be strong enough by your grace to enter through that narrow gate. 